0: Hey everyone welcome to the 17th i believe or 16th edition of the wharton syntax podcast uh, i'm here with the with the guys from final a really interesting startup um, out in california um, and with me i have aaron frank and ben oppel aaron ben would you guys would you guys mind introducing
1: yourselves
2: yeah hey abby um this is ben oppel i'm one of the co-founders here at final
1: and i'm aaron frank i'm the ceo and one of the co-founders here at Final, also. So Do you want more of ben,
0: a background on that? Yeah, I, w- <laughs> I would love to hear, like, you know, I'm kind of interested in knowing what the inspiration for the company was. Um, and Ben, I know um, as you joined relatively recently, I'm curious to know what drew you to the company. Um,
2: so, didn't join recently, um, but, yeah, so the, so the, the origin story is, um, we were actually, Aaron and I and one of the other co-founders who's not on the line right now, Andrew, uh, who we call lovingly Dietrich uh, by his last name, the three of us were actually traveling around Europe in uh, 2014, so it was January, and um, the Target breach happened stateside, and we were pretty unaware at the time because we'd been bouncing around
1: between, um, I think, where were we i mean we were in we were in berlin ultimately where we had our cards shut off and from that uh me and Nan, me and dietrich and well, the- i wanted to tell the travel story i was going to go into every single town and every single
2: country that we went to i was really going to build up anticipation to the to the the pain point yeah. you totally just you just like you blew it now i, I can't even tell that story
0: <laughs> well, I mean, Still fine, but, uh fine man you can edit it out go ahead
2: We were in Reykjavik for a while, and Copenhagen, and what? No, so we, yeah, we 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 ended up like um, probably having drunk way too much uh, beer at 3 a.m. in Berlin, and went to go buy some some snacks, uh, some falafel, I think, or something like that. And um, none of our cards worked; they'd all been shut off because of the Target breach, like Karen was saying. And uh, it took us a while to figure out why everyone's cards were shut off, and without warning, and without. Um, sort of an, an alternative that we could control, um, and that sort of started this snowball idea of uh, how do you how do you build a card, how do you build a payment card that inherently you control instead of the issuing bank. So um, you get to say if it gets you know shut off or not shut off. You get to say if a merchant can charge you. Um, or when they can charge you, or how, however much they can charge you, how often they can charge you, um, basically providing, in some sense, democratizing tokenization, but really just providing user controls to cardholders. That was, that was sort of the, the thought. How can we build that? And the, as research went on, it sort of became clear that the only way to do that was to be either a program manager or the actual issuer. So you couldn't just be a technology layer and sell it to banks, you couldn't just build an app and then try and get issuers to use it. Um, Really the only way to decide how you can create those card controls and not dilute them so much based on either regulation or um, legacy bank technology, the only way is to really build from scratch uh, an all new issuer. So that was sort of the ambitious and possibly and really hard direction that we chose.
1: I like using the
2: word naïve. We're naïve. Naïve is probably better than stupid, because but... Because
1: at the time, uh, this is, you know, January 2014, uh, none of the founding team really had much experience in payments besides the fact that, you know, everyone's an expert in credit cards because everyone has yeah. a credit card. Uh.
2: He's, saying, he's saying that somewhat ironically because uh, we hear... <laughs> that's, that's sort of what he said about investors after a VC meeting.
1: Yeah, they're all they're all experts because they all have credit cards in their wallets. Um, but yeah, really, it was you know it's been a for the first year and a half really it was a lot of just educating ourselves and pounding the pavement from there uh, and to, to truly learn why a bunch of these decisions in this 50 plus year old industry were still being kind of still there, right? Like uh, from the Fresno drop back in the '60s when Bank of America really launched a three month drop. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, back in the sixties, when Bank of America launched the first credit card, you really have um, you really haven't seen much change from a fundamentals. You've gotten some evil things like double cycle billing, or or a whole host of kind of you know origination fees and a bunch of things that the Card Act got rid of. But um, the fundamentals of what it is to be a credit card are pretty solidified in, in in this day and age.
0: Yeah, there was a great quote that Josh Reich gave when he was starting Simple that the biggest innovation in the banking industry in the past 20 years is a smaller font size. I think that's generally true of the card industry as well.
2: What what was it, the biggest innovation in the last 20 years is what?
0: A smaller font size.
2: Smaller font size, oh, that is a great quote. That was was his whole, um, his mission. I I remember a quote from him, it might've been earlier this year or a couple years ago, but he was saying that they spent multiple years multiple years, not just months, but years, working just on how you can make the, uh, the, the terms of service more easily digestible from a consumer's perspective, which is a great mission. Yeah. But I think, we, I, think, I think most average humans would have been pounding their head against the um, cement table.
0: <laughs> yeah, m- most bankers are as well. <laughs> so, yeah. so you guys mentioned um, that you did a lot of customer research um, as you were building up uh, to launching the company. Can you describe some of the research you did and and what are some of the interesting insights you found?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, So we did as much as we possibly could in order to provide us some direction with the product, but I wouldn't say it was like a ton. Um, We did a lot. We interviewed, I think, a couple hundred people uh, and we tried to span a a wide spectrum of demographics. And um, one of the things that we... That we sort of came to, which was sort of like a false summit. It was a, it was kind of like this pseudo conclusion, was that people aren't all that interested in a security product, but what they're really after is this combination of control and convenience. And what's funny is that that was a that was this sort of research conclusion from two years ago. <clears throat> excuse me, two years ago. Um, and we have we have these documents, these old documents, uh, with all of these research profiles and these personas. And in big fonts, consumer or um, convenience plus control, control plus convenience, and um, and now we see like basically every top five issuer has uh, control plus convenience on on their ads these days. Which I think it was, I thought that was funny, sort of an aside. But <laughs> the the conclusion, the sort of false conclusion that we came to was that people people didn't necessarily think that they wanted a security product that that was sort of niche. But what they really wanted was convenience and control without having to sacrifice any other features or rewards. Um, but I think that that's really just a that's a weird mindset, uh, and, I, and I don't actually think that it's that it's holding true. I think people do want a security product. I think I think that those are just synonyms, and that it's um, up to it's up to the product team to sort of define what that means and and what not compromising on features means. I mean, I think. One of the things that uh, Simple really nailed was that concept of transparency into uh, what your card is being charged, when it's being charged. So if you hand your card to uh, someone at a restaurant, they take it away and charge you, uh, you don't have to wait for a monthly statement. Simple, I think, was the first, as far as I know, the first issuer who did push notifications for real-time receipts uh, in a in a really good way, in a very user-friendly way. Uh, yeah. With things like that, we sort of started to get an idea uh, as far as competitive landscape goes, what features people actually use, which ones they found valuable, and then scrap the rest of it and then start building new features that no one else could. And that's when we really started to dig into this concept of multiple card numbers, virtual cards. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: So for the folks who are less familiar with the inner workings of the credit card market, can you describe exactly how a virtual card works? In, uh, in
1: relatively simple language. Yeah, so it, it, technically it's not a virtual card. It's, it's, it is a first tier PAN or primary account number in our ecosystem. Ben's giving me the signal not to call them unembossed PANs, <laughs> which I actually was in a call this morning with and I said it to one of our vendors and they go, oh, unembossed PANs. I really like that. And I was just like, okay. Because um, the <laughs> virtual card actually has, has you know, a connotation in the industry. So what it is is pan that we just never put on a piece of plastic. And by doing that and segmenting them, uh, kind of from the physical card and making them all kind of first tier actors in our ecosystem, we've created a lot of value. So what a virtual card really is is take that 16 digit number off your off your plastic card that now has a chip in it and just use it anywhere. So every time you make an online or card not present transaction. That's technically, a, you know, in what the ecosystem wants to call a virtual card transaction.
2: It shares all the same properties as a physical card. virtual card, you can use it anywhere that piece is accepted. Uh, you can, you know, you can use it in any payment field, like Aaron was saying, card not present, so online, over the phone, or in-app. But you can also just present it to someone in person. If you happen to lose your card, you can, from your phone, actually just generate a virtual card in real time and then either show that to someone across a register or just read it aloud. It works the same way. They can type it in manually. Um, we've had a bunch of cardholders say that they've used it that way in a pinch, which is pretty, pretty cool. We didn't expect um, that as an edge case. So the, the concept is um, traditionally people have this one-to-many relationship between the card number that's printed on the front of their physical card and every merchant that they shop with. They've got one card number, they're giving the same card number to every single merchant. That doesn't change, CVV doesn't change, expiration doesn't change, which means that merchants have grown accustomed to the pain caused when a card is canceled, and they know that people don't want that to happen, they're gonna avoid that. So if you know they see a two or three dollar charge go through that they didn't want to expect or too opt in for, they know that the pain is greater to shut that card off than it would be to just let that charge go through. and Merchants take advantage of that. Uh, Not the majority of merchants, but there are plenty of them out there that do. So what we've done is we've taken that one-to-many relationship and we've changed it to a one-to-one relationship. So every single merchant, they all get a different card number, 16-digit unembossed PAN, like Aaron was saying, a different CVV and a different expiration date. What that means is it's no longer so painful for you to tell that merchant to uh, get stuff pound sand, whatever you want to say, and you can shut that virtual card off in real time, either from your computer or from your phone, um, and you, they can't charge it anymore. It's, it's a beautiful way to sort of say, I didn't opt in for this. Um, right. In fact, I'm practically opting out of you charging me. It's, it's, um, it's, at, at its very heart, it's consumer advocacy through a feature set.
0: Yeah, no. I think this, um, as I mentioned to you guys before, part of the reason why I've been following you guys for a long time is because I think the idea is really powerful um, in terms of giving control back to the user and giving the power of the relationship back to the user. A lot of the systems that we've built in the banking industry these days allow for this pull mechanism out of your account, whether it be like a recurring payment on your credit card or um, a recurring payment that dips into your bank account and pulls an ACH out. Um, you know, there's th- kind of like these mysterious pulls that can come out of the account. It seems like what you guys are doing is giving the power back to the consumer and allowing them to cut that connection whenever they feel they don't want to spend that money anymore.
2: Exactly. Yep. Yeah. You hit the nail so on the head.
0: The, so some of the interesting use cases I can see coming out of this are the, the obvious ones, like, you know, obviously tying a number to a given merchant, which allows you to sever the relationship whenever you want. Um, But it also could be really interesting, you know, to take it to an extreme, like in a family setting with authorized users and, you know, making sure your kids don't spend money after a certain time or, you know, for budgeting purposes, making sure you don't spend too much money in certain categories, etc. Are are there like other specific use cases that you guys have in mind with, with this product or is it, at least for now, mostly a security and convenience play?
1: Yeah, so when, when I explain what we do publicly as a company, it's, it's that we're a vertically integrated company. Each of those use cases you described is really a product and UI UX problem. And so yep. building the same functionality so that a family can use the card in a way that you just described and have a family card with time constraints and different controls on it versus a security control product is really actually the same product offering from a software experience or customer experience perspective. Does that make sense? So, yeah. Uh, so you know from the, they're the same from the back end, they're a little bit different from the front end.: Yes, but it's, it's similar to how if you look at like other vertically integrated companies like an Apple, they give you power functionality. you just have to know where to go and look for it right. And so there's certain times where you'll optimize the UI so that you can issue easily you know a family card for a kid and then limit the spend till before 10, a, 10 pm right So they can't just go be playing on their phone real late. but doing that in a seamless way across the board. Um, Is a really hard UI UX problem that typically, and not to, you know, it's something that a bank typically doesn't invest in. Um, The people who are doing it, or the bank doing it best today and investing in, you know, design and really customer experience is capital one. And you can see this in the fact they've bought four different design agencies in the last two years, right? Um, And what that's done is put them at the forefront ahead of even people like Amex in what the UI UX is. Um, so it, it's something that where we compete also and putting a lot of resources around that so that it just makes sense how we want you to use the product. So really when we talk about it, it's control and all that, you know, all of the use cases you described lend themselves back immediately to control.
2: And we do have cardholders now who have uh, called in or sent us emails and said, look, um, you know, I just, I just generated a card for my 13-year-old son for Xbox Live limited uh, the card to just being able to be used at Xbox Live but what I'd really like to be able to do is to say that that card can only ever be charged uh, thirty dollars a week or whatever the whatever the limit might be and for us that's really easy to build that that third sort of variable limiting factor in that, that's that's uh, pretty pretty easy again like Aaron was saying not every not every user wants that and so for us it's It's trying to figure out how do we make that, uh, without overcomplicating the UI, how do we make that possible, differentiate four different demographics, four different use cases, because they are all on the back end of the same product. Um, You're absolutely right. The family card makes a ton of sense. There's a little bit of a challenge in sharing numbers, but something that we've been thinking about for a while.
0: Yeah, no, I I think for the folks who are less familiar with the credit card industry may not have the same appreciation of how difficult this is for existing issuers to build out this kind of functionality. Um, This typically has to live within their their fraud prevention systems or in their processing divisions, which, you know, themselves may be outsourced. So I think this is a pretty Herculean task that you guys have have, um, gone through in order to build this out. Our engineering team will appreciate you saying that. Yeah.
1: Well, the entire <laughs> operations team. So we still have every one of those divisions here. It's just much less more much more hats being worn by each individual. And actually I should ask you, are you a card holder of ours? Uh
0: I am on the wait list. I have not yet been invited, but once I am I will be a very active user.
2: We'll fix that after the after the uh, podcast recording. <laughs> All
0: right. Thank you. Was, um, so, so, Sorry, go ahead. So uh, sorry, I have a quick question on, on this note. Um, you know, Aaron, I think it was you who wrote a blog post relatively recently when you were announcing the launch that, that BD was – like business development was just a huge challenge, perhaps bigger than you had originally expected. Um, can, can you describe that? Because, you know, from my perspective, when, when I think about your business, I would expected the engineering challenges to be, you know, much larger than the BD challenges. Um, but I'd love so, for you to talk about that a
1: little bit. But you keep on – you unlock different challenges as you hit different milestones. If you really want to look what it takes to launch a new credit card company and this is what i end up repeating myself a lot there's seven different core seven different core competencies of a full stack credit card company and when you look at each of those it's okay you need to make sure that all these pieces um, are in sync excuse me as uh as you're launching the company and so that's why we say it's a bd challenge more so than an engineering challenge because engineering is just one of them but when we when we brought the initial kind of product to market it was a five-party sale that all had to go to market at the same time. And so uh, that involved kind of seven different core competencies, which are processing, customer experience, marketing, servicing, uh, capital and debt, and that credit slash product risk, and then also compliance. And so, you know, some of that relates back to finding a bank partner, since all, at the end of the day, we're not a bank, but that also involves finding a processing partner who uh, we can work with and can operate on the time scale with us. When we're not, when we're not the bank to begin with, because when you look at the industry as a whole, you're talking to let's say a First aid or a thesis, who do 90 plus percent of the volume of credit cards in the U.S. And right. the reason that 90, 90 plus percent of credit card transactions flow through Atlanta, Georgia, um, when you look at them, you realize, okay, you know, they're not risk organizations, they're not even really sales organizations, they're distribution organizations. They they build these product offerings and then distribute them to all their bank partners. So when you come to them with a, hey, I want to launch this product, they go, okay, what's your bank? You know, what's your bank called? And we say, well, we're not a bank. And they say, okay, let's go find you a bank, but they're not going to do any legwork. So then you do the legwork to go find a bank partner who says, Okay, what's your tech stack? And they go, Or who's your processor? <laughs> they don't say tech stack, apologies. <laughs> um, and we say, Well, the processor said they'll work with us, but now we need to go pay them Uh, I can't probably shoot out numbers, but let's just say seven figures for setup costs plus ongoing costs that are much more expensive than we ended up paying to get going.
2: Uh, Okay, so who's your processor? Okay, processor. Your your bank bank. goes back and forth and back and forth and around and around, and it's cyclical and very much uh, a catch 22 BD challenge.
1: And then as you get even farther down that path with the bank, You know if you're doing anything custom the processor is either going to want to do it or you're going to build product on your side in-house but the one kind of dirty secret in credit cards is the hardest thing is actually servicing and doing any phone servicing or what we've unlocked in digital servicing if you're creating a whole new paradigm which uh not to sound cliche we have um you know explaining to a bank that you're going to do servicing over email they go well we have 50 years of competency on a call center, but how are you going to do email to do expires aid? And then getting the processor who technically is a system of record in this industry for you know yeah. how much debt, you know, how much how much transaction volume, what rewards, to understand that you might also have a different servicing model. They typically try to just upsell you on well, we have these call centers in Omaha, Nebraska, which has no Accent is the perfect state for that, or city, um, or, you know, they'll, they'll, push, they'll push you to one of their, in First Data Speak, GSPs, general service providers, because those are full servicing organizations that then wrap around a First Data core. Um, so it, it's why it's a BD challenge, because you really have to answer all these questions in parallel, and the first one actually ends up being a bank, so you can secure your processing partner and then secure everyone else down the chain. But, you know... it's you're finding a bank
2: without a processor.
1: Yeah. And, you you know, there's some assumptions we've talked to a lot of people. This is a problem a bank doesn't have, let's just be clear, because the bank's the bank, right? Um, But, you know, there's some assumptions, well, we'll just use the bank's processor. But in that case, you're walking into a very legacy piece of tech and a very entrenched contract that as a startup or as any actually new player in the industry, you don't necessarily want to take on that baggage because it's going to really bog down your company for five years as you fight your way out of it. When your job is to keep on doing kind of creative destruction and product innovation in the market.
2: Yeah, good luck walking into a 20, 30, billion bank that's in the middle of a 20 year contract with their processor and saying, actually we need you to hire another processor just for, just for us. Yeah, that's, right. that's never gonna go.
0: So how, how do you guys handle things like um, credit risk management? Is that uh, handled through your partnership? Um, or is that uh, you know handled in-house?
1: It's a hybrid, actually. Yeah, it's a hybrid. So uh, what ends up happening is you actually agree on a, a credit underwriting model, which is another one of these kind of dark arts in the credit industry. Because building one from scratch is a really hard problem to solve, because you know you want historical information, but as you're building out a new portfolio, you have no historical information. Um, we are lucky to have someone on our team who's been doing this for 20 years. So, he just brought a lot of kind of, uh, I'll say, institutional knowledge to the game. He used to be at Amex and uh, RevMo and then I uh, an agent bank. He ran portfolios there and then Prudential Financial when uh, all of us on this call and a bunch of people listening weren't even in the payment space um, back in the 90s. So, uh, you know, putting forth a model and getting the bank to agree on it makes a ton of sense from a compliance perspective, and it's how we went down that path. But really, I think the question you're asking is, who's taking the debt on this? because there's always gonna be receivables originated by a credit card, um, whether they revolve or not, because at the end of the day, it is a credit card, so some people will accrue some debt and some will pay us off month to month. Um, it's something that your policy doesn't really need to take into account, but the debt facility needs to understand that for how it figures out yield. But you, know, you agree on a credit policy, you originated into, a, we'll call it an STV, a special purpose vehicle, and you, I hate to say move on from there from a kind of a structure perspective, but you continue to reevaluate depending on information you get in about the portfolio.
0: Yeah, got it. Did you guys originally launch with um, with the intention of introducing rewards on your product? Or was that a relatively new addition to the product? Was
1: well, the question about rewards? Rewards, yeah. Uh, it launched with rewards. The plan was always to have rewards. But... We have a lot of contrarian thoughts about kind of the industry today. If you look at credit cards, especially prime and super prime, which is where we're targeting um, from a kind of you know that perspective, uh, or at least where we're playing. I'm not going to say we're actually targeting that. Let me say that. But yeah, we have 1% cashback. We looked at it as a neutralization in the industry. It's actually right around where we think that it's a sustainable business without having to misalign ourselves with the customer. So when you start giving, you know. 150 basis points or two percent 200 basis points or 250 which we're going to start to see keep going yeah yeah yeah.
0: Yeah. 250
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's different you're actually a negative swipe uh cost basis for for every transaction um and you know the big kind of in the last year the big elephant in the room is you know costco just switched off amex to visa via city and uh, it's probably a Business Insider article. Quotes so like, you know, Costco got this incredible interchange rate, which means that any, you know, Visa card that has two percent cash back on top of a Costco purchase is actually losing one hundred and sixty basis points, plus whatever the actual cost to process that transaction is, because it's non-zero. Right. And Right. would we'll be.
0: With the advent of of carve-outs for McDonald's and Walmart and other uh, large merchants, I think this is going to become more of the norm than the exception over time.
1: When you say carve-outs, you mean like networks carving out interchange tables, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, well, I think it'll become the norm for a while. um, And we'll either see rewards programs start to carve out, which is this really like kind of perverse incentive in what they're trying to actually accomplish as a credit card, or they'll just take the revenue hit at the bank. But really, over time, you'll actually see portfolio profitability starts to tank, which is, you know, banks aren't in the business of losing money on every swipe. So really, where we see the market going is towards this 40 to 80 basis point interchange. Rate for credit cards, which is actually where you hit kind of cost plus risk, plus a little bit of premium because it is a credit card. Um, And then from that, there's actually a great value when interchange, flips to 100, uh, to sub 100 pips. Um, you know, I have no special knowledge about this besides kind of everything that everyone's read around, you know, interchange being, you know, these carve outs, right? Uh, but what happens in that ecosystem is you can't fund even a 1% card because, you know, there's no value there. But you can start making the market look much different and much more akin to some of these international players. Uh, the one I love playing to is uh, Air Miles in Canada, which is funny enough owned by Alliance Data, uh, which also owns Community Bank, but yeah. Uh, so we're launching with rewards. I was a roundabout way saying that, um, you know, 50, and extra 100 bips on top of every transaction spent is something we looked at and said, that helps us run a business in a way that more aligns with the consumer, so I don't have to try to get them into debt or I don't have to try to ding them with some sort of fee kind of after the fact in order to make money on them to make sure that... Account, we're not actually losing money because you know our job is actually to run a business but also at the same time be advocates for consumers and build a better credit card product in the world.
2: Aaron's got a great, a great little pun. You gotta tell
1: him. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I mean, the goal of the company, one of the one of the uh, kind of pillars of the company is to align the interests of uh, the company with the interests we make from our consumers.
0: (laughs) Nice wordplay, I like it. I I come up with more it was kind of, of like a pity laugh, but yeah, yeah we'll take it. No, it, it's not a pity laugh at all. Uh, if you can me back you'll appreciate how much I love those kind of funds. Um it <laughs> doesn't come through over the thousands of miles of distance, that's the only problem. Uh so so on that note, like, I, I think you know the, the point you're making is 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 a great one. You know, at as interchange gets hit, I think these secondary features, at least as they are today in, in a commodity industry like credit cards. Become more and more important, and I, I feel like there's a massive consumer acquisition um, uh, advantage that you guys will have at that time. Um, but on, on that note, no, there, no. there are some. Sorry, what was that? So don't tell.
1: Don't, don't tell anyone that, please.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll be our little secret. Uh, us and the hundreds of people, thousands of people who are listening to this uh, podcast. Uh, so, so on that note, there's a, there's a couple of people who are who are playing in this. You know, either unembossed or virtual card kind of space to feel like either direct competitors or, you know, copycats or like minds, whatever you want to call them. Um, the, the one that jumps to mind is, is privacy. Um, but, but I've also seen other people like USAA and others talk about um, virtual cards on their network. Uh, do, do you view these guys as competition or are they – this is kind of like the, the thing that's in vogue in the industry right now, and so it's natural that multiple people come up with the same idea.
1: Yeah, so from you know, this industry is hamstrung by legacy tech debt. Um, there's two ways to get out of that. One is to build de novo on the you know, the right rails, and that's why we went out from scratch and built fully de novo kind of service oriented architecture, credit card issuing stack. Um consumers don't really give a shit about that. They don't care that we're, you know, much more flexible from a core out and we're not running, uh, and Tsis is a great company, a TS2, which is a COBOL-based system, running in 95 or started in 95, running on a mainframe. Um, and so from, you know, when we look at what USAA, actually I don't even know what USA is doing per se, exactly in this, um, or maybe i mapped it in my head incorrectly, it's, there, there's two ways to innovate. One is to build out from scratch, um, or there's two ways to innovate correctly. And the other is to do it on a product, or, or the rails that at least allow you the flexibility. So there's a bunch of people, um, Enabling this flexibility on prepaid because there's no risk involved. You're talking about uh, you know three or four less levels of complexity because there's no debt, there's no open to buy. Right. The funds are there to store value, and so in doing it in that fashion, um, you know when we look at when we looked at that, we saw an opportunity. But the problem is we see the opportunity dying because you know uh, essentially what becomes detached debit um, is what we, we can call it. Um, it is only really a business when it's merchant funded, and so the best example of that in the world is the Target Red Card. But doing that as a standalone product doesn't really exist in the U.S. because you're taking on so much risk if ACH fails. And you know, while it's nice for a proof of concept, it doesn't get you the right DNA as a company. Is really where our decision ends up. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we actually just
2: thought through it and then decided to to go straight towards credit. We actually built we built a debit product. We, um, we went through YC in winter of '15, um, and during that, those three months, we built Final uh, from a front end perspective and back end perspective, as if it was going to basically be what Aaron was talking about, built on prepaid Rails. And we got up with a live card and said, "Hey, we did it." And then sort of came back after demo day, sat down and said, "Wait a second, this is this is something that other companies can replicate. This this wasn't hard enough. If we can do it in three months, other companies can do it in." Two and a half or six or whatever.
1: Yeah, the defensibility and durability of a business is really what we looked at, and in the prepaid space, is a processor perspective. There's been 50 processors we talked to in the time that claimed the ability to do what we wanted them to do. Um, sure. And you would have said, "What? There's 50 prepaid processors?" And the answer is because there's no the regulatory compliance on that is much less. Where if you look at credit cards, you're going to need to go find one of the big four processors. So, at First Data, TCS, FIS, or Fiserv who will be able to have this functionality kind of as a first-tier uh, account in your ecosystem otherwise you're looking at a, a product that really starts having to compromise from day one and that's something we didn't want to do from underlying fundamentals of the product offering yeah. and then that doesn't even get into all the other things we've had to customize along the way that you know the big players as soon as they do something custom for you and they build it their job is distribution um, and so right. we've built a bit of a bit of durability and monopoly around that just by doing so much in-house or finding people who are doing it just for us and don't have these deep tendrils into the rest of the credit card distribution world in the U.S. So uh, virtual cards are kicking up. It's great for education of what we do and it just helps us where, you know, people are wanting to use our product because it actually is a product they use from, from a fundamentals. They use a credit card today. The only, you know, prepaid card or stored value card they use is a gift card And that's usually issued by Blackhawk Networks, and it has an Amazon logo on it or something, or an iTunes logo on it. So just from even just a marketing perspective, there's a reason you don't, actually, probably the better answer there's a reason you don't see any um, prepaid cards really issued by the top 20 banks in the US, right? There's no programs, just because it's it's a hard business to make work, and even as a bank where you have the best economics out there, it is a hard, hard business to make work. So we said, let's really do the hard thing and let's build a a durable moat around tech, but then also just around business process and and organizational structure of what it takes to be a credit card. I don't think we realized at the time it was going to
2: take us another year and a half to build that, but uh, probably still worth it.
1: We're very glad we did now. In retrospect, it's it's, just incredible kind of, we built credit cards into the DNA of the company and going back and now doing anything else in, in consumer financial services, is, is that much easier because the regulatory burden is just less? We've essentially encapsulated the largest part of the pipe or of the Venn diagram, and everything is a subset. Obviously, you know, debit has EFT regulations and kind of all that sort of stuff, but we're able to do that in a much faster way now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Building credit is the hardest piece. Once once you go down the, the value chain from there, it's uh, everything gets easier. So start with the start at the top. Start with the hardest thing. Start with something that people use every day. Payments tool. You pick the hardest payments tool to build due to Regulatory burden. You pick credit. Uh, it's, it, it's sort of self-explanatory when you start thinking about what the actual hardest thing to
1: build is. I don't know. We could have built a Bitcoin credit card. We could have is. tried to build a Bitcoin <laughs> credit card. That would have been harder.
0: You guys email, would have been real pioneers there.
1: <laughs> well, we, just, we haven't been able to figure out what that even means. Is actually the real problem? <laughs> because, you know, if you're like a credit card backed by gold doesn't really do much for the world besides, you know, it's a less
0: liquid form of uh, capital. Yeah, well, with Accenture announcing today that they want to create editable blockchains, I think it gets even uh, even more confusing with what that would exactly mean. Um, so, hey, I, I know you guys need to run in a few minutes to talk um, to potential new hires at your company, um, but I just want to ask one question along those lines. Uh, so this is a Wharton FinTech podcast, and many of our um, classmates are highly interested in going into um, startups in the fintech space after they graduate. Um, do you have any advice for those folks because they're looking for either internships or full-time positions? Um, and are there things that you guys look for when you're um, hiring that MBAs might have in stage that they should really focus on?
2: Yeah, so I think the, the one thing that we this is this is not super actionable advice, uh, but <laughs> I'll say it anyway. one of the one of the things that we talk about here is. After someone that we that we're interviewing leaves the room, sort of ask ourselves: Are they smarter than us? Uh, would they make us Would they make us smarter just by working with them? And uh, so that's usually the number one, you know, piece of criteria. Number two is: Are they hungry? So are they smart? Do they <laughs> Do they make us smarter just by being next to them? Are they hungry? Are they willing to walk into the office every single day without an ego? Uh, and and Try anything or everything. Um, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of ex-consultants who come out of top five, and there's a lot of things that they don't want to work on. But I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. Um, we're looking for people who are of that same capacity, uh, productivity wise, and just don't come with an ego. Um, I think our One of our best hires came from in industry, came from Capital One. Um, and another one of our best hires did not come from industry. She came from Palantir and they're both on the operations team. They're both amazing uh, and they both have extremely high output. I think the two things that they have in common are that they're both quite a bit smarter than the rest of us and they both are willing to do anything. So it's sort of, it ups our game. It forces us up our game.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, when I look for people, uh, and especially if you're coming from an MBA, it's coming in and doing pre-education on the company, you know, uh, clearly, you know, Avi, you're very educated about the industry, and we like to say it's the only $6 trillion industry where nothing's written down. Um, but, you know, there's a certain level of education you can do just to get up to speed on actually what we do. Um, You know, and then beyond that is actually being intellectually curious. And actually, if someone—it's happened a few times where someone's actually educated us in an interview about the industry. And these are people who don't necessarily come from within, or they've asked such um, uh, probing questions, but in a way that actually shows that they want to continue to learn. Um, You know, I I don't say that we're payments experts; I say that we're payments learners here because we continue to learn each and every day about the the kind of uh, opaque industry and that doesn't even get into kind of uh, the other side of that which is the lending side of the business where you have a whole alphabet of um, so really it's, you know I always come back to intellectual curiosity is the main driver um, and then obviously like you know self-leadership and, and self-starter always is a very good thing um,
0: that's, that's really helpful advice thanks guys um, so the last question I have uh, is if folks are listening to this and they want to uh, sign up and perhaps move to uh, maybe not the front, but not the bottom of the wait list um, uh, can, can they can they do anything? To, can you guys help with that at all?
2: They can email founders at getfinal.com and we'll uh, either help them out or help them out a lot. Uh
1: we'll, I- <laughs> That, that's not an offer of credit. I have to say legally, we can yeah. help them. We'll, we'll help them figure out how to apply for a credit
2: card. There, okay. is that, is yeah, I, I think
1: we can maybe. ask your compliance officer. <laughs> oh yeah, our, <laughs> our chief compliance officer. Yeah, his head might be
0: spinning right now. Use the podcast. Before we, we go live.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: thanks again, uh, guys. I really appreciate the time. I know you guys got a busy schedule ahead of you tonight too. So I really appreciate taking the time. Um, and I hope um, we have a chance to talk again.
2: Yeah, Avi, this was great. Thanks for setting it up. And uh, absolutely, yeah, I think Aaron and I are both looking forward to uh, chatting after this when we're not recorded. All
1: right. Well, thanks, everyone. Talk to you all soon. All right. See ya.